Welcome to the Academy of Esports Podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan, and today I am here with Alex McNeil. He is the founder of McNeil Admissions, and he also hosts the subreddit Applying to College. Alex, thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports Podcast today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being such a, a willing guest. Um, I know you have worked in the past with Uni Esports, but you're on to a new project right now around helping kids find their place in their way in the collegiate scene through applications, um, and working as a private admissions consultant, which I know working with a lot of high school students, sometimes they just look at their local choices or, or focus in on their um, known universities when really there might be some diamonds in the rough. Um, but before we dive too much into your work, we wanna make sure that our guests know a little bit more about you uh, that are maybe not related to the conversation that we'll have yep. today. So first question that I want to ask you, Alex, what is a game, and it doesn't have to be a video game, that stands out as having been important to you at some point in your life, and why was that experience meaningful? Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> probably the most uh, meaningful game I've ever played was definitely World of Warcraft, because all throughout high school, the World of Warcraft was was pretty much how I made all my friends in high school. And uh, those are friends that I still have today, like my core group of friends. We all kind of bonded over WoW. Um, so, yeah, that was that was great. Also, WoW was definitely my first eSport experience. Actually, not really. Like Frozen Throne, Warcraft 3 Frozen Throne on Battle.net, mm-hmm. but then World of Warcraft, um, like Arena, doing duos with my actually my former business partner, Jesse Bedoni and good friend. Um, so yeah, it's gotta be world of Warcraft arena for me. All right. And I know, uh, I have a really good friend. She is a lot. She is somebody who you would look at and go, this isn't a Warcraft person, but, uh, she is absolutely a Warcraft person. She's that kind of person where if you get started in the game, she's the one you want to hook up with uh, to be yeah. in her clan because she will help you level up quickly. Oh, yeah. It's always yeah, good to have those friends. We're talking the days before gaming was cool or socially acceptable. We had to, we came up with the whole code word to talk about WoW, and we had our own like secret language, so no one would know we played. <laughs> it was very like <laughs> insecure high school times. But <laughs> well, and maybe this is related to your Warcraft experience, but it may be totally eccentric or quite traditional. What is your superpower? That thing that you do better than most people, or what do you wish you could do? Interesting. My superpower. Um, hmm. I feel like something I'm, I'm pretty good at is writing very fast and pretty polished. That's like something I can, I can do. I kind of churn out huge amounts of written content in short periods of time. So your power is you're the Jack Kerouac of, uh, <laughs> you know, writing things long scroll as, mm-hmm. as on the road was written. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All right. That's a, that's a very cool superpower. I would say, I wish I could do that with my dissertation. Uh, Comes in hand one thesis yeah. dissertation for sure. <laughs> All right. Here's third question. Name one song. Whenever it hits your speakers, you're going to sing along to it. Oh gosh. Okay. Doesn't have to be singing well to Let's it. Let's see. Um, I was driving today and mm-hmm. I was listening to a throwback R and B station and no diggity came on 
And I found myself singing along to that. I like that song. This was not KMEL, was it? It uh, it might have been. Yeah, it probably was. So Alex lives in the Bay Area. I'm from the Bay Area. And KMEL has always been the uh, the station that plays that kind of music. So, yeah. okay, fair enough. <laughs> now, and here's, here's kind of leading into our conversation. And this is the fourth question. The one thing about your field that surprises people when they first hear it, again, now you're working with college admissions, private uh, consulting in this field. What's something that surprises people when they first hear about it? Mm, When they first hear about it? Well, I would say that people are almost always surprised um, when they, like, so, you know, a big thing in college admissions is rankings and there's a mm-hmm. lot of decision-making that goes down based around like questions about prestige and school ranking. And I think when I start talking to families or students, like everybody is inevitably surprised when they start to think a little bit more closely about what factors actually contribute to, for example, like U.S. world news rankings um, which end up being really shallow and kind of like gameable. Um, so I would say that that's not the most sexy response, but when people start to think what is actually behind the kind of curtain, the prestige curtain, um, usually they have like, they go, you know, do complete 180s about where they think they want to go to school and for what reasons. Um, yeah. Well, I found when I was looking at colleges, and maybe you can speak to this. Um, again, growing up the Bay Area had great college availability in the Bay Area, whether that was Berkeley, Stanford, but there's also the amazing community college system. Yeah. Um, you know, around my area where I live now in Racine, Wisconsin, we have a lot of students who go to Gateway because the cost is right. The credits transfer very easily to a UW system, University of Wisconsin system. Mm-hmm. Are there students who you meet with or talk with who you look and go, you know, have you considered this option first? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, too, am a community college product. There's construction going on in the background. I don't know if that's super loud, but uh, we're good. Quiet down. Um, Yeah. And I I, so I went, you know, my 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 higher education journey was kind of a circuitous one. Like I took a gap year after high school because I didn't want to go to college right away. Um, went to community college for two years in two different states. One was in Oregon, one was in California. And then I transferred and, you know, applied to a bunch of different schools, like almost went to a UC, but I instead went to a private four-year school, um, small community or not community college, small community college, but a private four-year uh, liberal arts college in Washington. And then of course I did my grad degree at a public institution at San Francisco state. So I've kind of been all over the place and there are definitely students especially when I'm talking to someone who is like pretty uncertain about what they want to study or what they're interested in, or just generally uncertain about whether they belong in, you know, an academic setting, whether that's what they want to do after high school. And then I would say the third person I talk to and kind of recommend community college a lot to our folks who, um, need a better financial solution for school and who, don't want to go into deep debt to get their education. Um, and you know, that, that I think is like more and more on my mind. Like I'm really 
I've been, you know, I, I was, I feel, feel like I was lucky that I, I wasn't ready to get a four-year degree after high school because it sort of forced me to go to a community college. And the outcome of that was ultimately like, I got a lot more clarity, but I also took on no debt. And the debt that I, I missed has probably been the like most important, I don't know, like one of the most important material factors in my life. Like it's given me so much freedom and autonomy to, and just flexibility to um, be entrepreneurial and just kind of to make, make my own decisions without having to worry about like a $700 a month, you know, student, student interest payment. Um, and I think student loans, like that's a, you know, that's a crisis right now. It's something that we're failing to find a solution to that, you know, the Biden administration has basically promised some form of loan relief and has completely failed to deliver on that promise. Um, and yeah, the student loan epidemic right now is, is a crisis. I mean, it's a, it's the biggest, it's one of the biggest debt crises we face. Um, yeah, it's approximately what about a trillion, it's a little over a trillion dollars 1. right now, 8 right? 1.8 trillion. It's almost 1.8 trillion. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and considering too that I know um, a lot of students had their uh, debts put on hold during the pandemic. In fact, we're still under a moratorium, I think, until yep. May. Yep. Um, as, and it, it seems like they keep kicking the can down the road on when those payments are going to restart. Um, it, it, I'm sure that there have been some people who have lived now for almost two years without having to address their student loan debt in some way. Yeah. Because they're, they're financed by the federal government. They're not going through a private company who have realized just how many changes they're going to have. Hopefully they're going to have to make in the next few months, realizing that now there is, as you said, a potential, you know, several hundred or even thousand dollars of, of debt that they have to now service uh, coming up here. But I know we're not here to, to dive into the depths of student loan debt, but let me ask you this because mm-hmm. we, we talked too about the promise of, of esports and scholarship opportunities too in a lot of these conversations. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the big promises around esports is look at these colleges who want to uh, provide scholarships. But as I, I try to tell people, the scholarships are great, you know, a seven thousand dollar, five thousand, three thousand, whatever the number may be. But ultimately, too, we have to consider that there's a lot more cost. These aren't full ride, you know, football and basketball scholarships. Um, a lot of these schools are private universities that are doing, especially small colleges that usually have, you know, tuition fees in the twenty to even thirty thousand dollar range. Has has the uh, esports scholarship really helped some students or has it only, I guess, lessened the load of debt that a lot of students have seen from your experience? So I would say that it falls more into the latter category. Um, you know, something that, so my background in esports, uh, my business background with James, you know, James, you mentioned this company, Uni Esports is a consulting company that I co-founded, um, and our focus was entirely on helping colleges and universities build uh, esports programs, whether it was a varsity program or a rec program. Um, and it was a fascinating experience because, you know, we worked with probably about a hundred or more schools over the time we were um, doing that work, and 
when you're coming into a university community <clears throat> from the outside, like as a consultant, you get a lot of information, usually at a pretty high level about, you know, what the goals of the institutions are. And especially if you're in a niche, like, you know, like collegiate esports, you learn a lot about why schools are investing in this kind of program during a time in higher education when, you know, labor is underfunded. Um, there's kind of systemic underfunding of student services. So it can really make a lot of folks scratch their head and say, okay, why are we prioritizing re resources um, in this direction? And it is a challenging question. And what you sort of, you sort of uh, realize um, is that for, for most schools, for many schools that are experimenting in collegiate esports, um, there is a sort of happy alignment between <clears throat> the ability of esports to engage, you know, a new constituency of students who don't have a place on campus all of the time. Gamers are very, you know, marginalized, um, not really treated as a group that, you know, deserves attention and resources. So it's redressing that gap, which is really great. But another huge reason schools are investing in esports is to use a program to attract students who might not otherwise come to their schools. So um, esports programs and scholarships are, are really, uh, most of the time, um, don't, they do not address or even, you know, bring students very much closer to being able to, being able to pursue a degree in a way that doesn't result in debt. Um, and I think, honestly, like there, there are a lot of programs that end up being somewhat predatory because they lure schools in or students in with the promise of being able to, you know, be a gamer while you study. And maybe that student isn't prepared for school, or maybe they, you know, accept a, a spot at a school, they, you know, get recruited, even though there's only $500 of scholarship money on the line. Um, mm -hmm. So it, I, I do think that esports on the collegiate level, you know, is kind of long winded answer, but it's flourishing in a in a larger context of schools being in an enrollment crisis and in a larger context of a student debt crisis that's going along with that. So it's complicated. Well, is the, because I know, again, a lot of students found through the pandemic, we have high school students especially who have gone now for a few years of being remote learners or online learners. Are, are on-campus experiences... I guess, under more pressure now that students have figured out, hey, I can do my general ed studies from a community college system anywhere in the world. I don't even have to step onto campus. I know there's been a an arms race, if you will, of some even some of the uh, community college systems of really upgrading facilities over the last several years. Is there, go is there now an arms race, if you will, that is suddenly looking more precarious because students have figured out, hey, I can do this from anywhere in the world. I don't need to be here. Yeah, I would say, you know, people will usually say, well, it's a balance, you know, your, their trade-offs, obviously the in-person experience is essential to a college education, there's community. I think that's true. But I do think that we are re rapidly moving in a direction where um, higher education is seen as instrumental for students. That is like, mm -hmm. it's a means to an end of... Um, 
I mean, this is my somewhat cynical <laughs> or jaded view, but uh, in the discourse today, you know, a lot of the time, higher education is a means to an end of getting a, a, a good paying job and getting a good paying job is a means to the end of having a satisfying or, or good life. So people make this equivalency between getting a degree, having a good life, and the thing that's in the middle there is the well-paying job. Um, so to answer the question, I think that students are, are approaching education with a sort of efficiency mindset, right? They're trying to figure out how they can um, get the most bang for their buck. And that means, I think, paying less, you know, having just a higher ROI, whatever that looks like. Could be going through mm -hmm. a community college, finding a state school that has a really strong, you know, CS emphasis or some sort of, you know, internship program that's built into the curriculum. Um, and I do think that schools that, that rely on that sort of field of dreams approach, right? Like where their campus is ex extraordinary and it's all about the in-person experience, like liberal arts colleges, they're having a little bit of a hard time right now um, landing on their feet, especially during the pandemic. Mm. Well, and again, this kind of dovetails into a, a question of around technology and the use of technology. Again, as, as some students have either had a, a love relationship with online learning or a hate relationship with online yeah. learning. Well, what are about what are your some of your concerns about the roles of the technology in in our lives or specifically in the young people's lives in in this search for that, I guess, ROI, if you will? Yeah, well. I mean, I definitely feel that so much of the best part of a learning experience does happen in person and in a community. Um, so I, f I fear that like the new normal of higher education delivery, which is at least partly like it focus on, you know, remote learning, asynchronous learning. Um, I think that caters to students who might Come, for example, like come from non-traditional backgrounds or be, you know, working while they're pursuing higher education. So that's a big, that's a big plus. But I do think that the kind of inherent community oriented quality of a higher education is maybe a little bit more under threat. Mm -hmm. The other things I think are like a lot of the, the, the technology providers that are facilitating higher education today and especially in the last couple of years those are private companies and i don't particularly like this sort of deepening interpenetration of public higher education with private ed tech um i think that that is not the best <laughs> um generally speaking well, when we talk about ed tech, what we're talking about are the products and services. For those of you who don't know, the products and services related to um, technology that we use in our schools. Uh, I know Google Apps has been one that we have used for a long time, and there are concerns around data privacy of our students around that, though Google tells us they don't do anything with student data. Um, you know, Apple has had a long-term affair with uh, the education system as well. Uh, Microsoft, of course, but then there's the other companies. I mean, Zoom up until recently was really a, a kind of niche uh, product, but now Zoom has made their ways into the education field as well, too, even though um, it, it's literally, you know, a 
a video conferencing service that we've already had access to through Google Apps for Education, for example. Uh, but what has this done or what do you hear about when it comes to this and it's related to mental health issues in our schools or our communities, you know, whether it's the collegiate and, and what does that mean to you professionally or personally? Yeah. So I do, I do think that coming from a college admissions angle um, and especially, so yeah, like you mentioned the applying to college subreddit, um, for those who oh, don't yeah, know. We, we, please talk about that a little yeah, bit more it's, because it's kind of relevant. So it's, you know, it's, it's a 690,000 student community. Um, it's the largest community in the world of students who are actively applying to schools and who are in the process of, you know, the application and, it's not just seniors. It's also, you know, honestly, there's students who are on that subreddit who are as um, early on as in eighth grade. And, you know, moderating that subreddit, you get a lot of perspective about the kind of um, peaks and troughs of um, mental health, you know, like crises that 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 kind of fluctuate throughout the year across years um, and like have get get more and more intense every year right like I think that we're we're definitely in a cycle where the mental health crisis that young people are facing is really deepening and intensifying and I think you know recently the the US um, Surgeon General released a, a really comprehensive report actually about um, the mental health you know crisis like naming it as a crisis a medical crisis that are affecting young people. Um, so I for sure believe that when, you know, a, a more tech technology based form of education, whether it's like primary, secondary, higher education, it's going to be more isolating. Um, I also think that it does things to our dopamine levels that are just bad. Um, and I for sure believe that like the deeper we go into that hole of, uh, you know, screen based education and living our lives on a screen, um, the more sis systemic uh, problems we're going to see when you look at it from a mental health perspective. I'm sure you see that every day. I mean, what do you uh, I do. I do see it every day. I do see students who who come to my virtual program and say, look, I, my anxiety is sky high. I can't be in the building. I can't be around, you know, a thousand kids or a class of 30 or whatever it is. But how are colleges in your experience, how are colleges seeing this right now? Or how are they even addressing it? Or are they beginning to address it? You know, they're not, I mean, they're not like some schools are, are trying to reappropriate finances to, beef up their student services departments. But the main thing I hear is that professors, especially in smaller school communities, are the ones who are having to pick up the um, emotional labor of being there for their students and kind of acting as therapists in a way for students who are who are hitting their you know first year in school and who are just flaming out and having a really difficult time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, trying to cope with depression, trying to cope with anxiety. Um, so I do, I do not think that generally speaking, colleges and universities are doing a very good job of, um, providing resources to mental health support, um, at least not in a way that is sort of appropriate or proportional to the extreme nature of the crisis that we're facing. Are there examples though that you can point to of, let's say that I do have a child who, you know, has heightened levels of anxiety. Um, They come to you and say, hey, we wanna talk about a college experience for my child. I have three teenagers right now, one who's deciding on her college and two who are obviously coming up and, and going to be looking at it. But what should, uh, what, what's, I guess, a good question to ask, you know, of a college or what's a question that you present that maybe helps to guide a student who maybe is dealing with a mental health crisis or anxiety or something along those lines that maybe gets them to a place where they're going to feel confident and safe and and set up for success, not set up for failure. Yeah. I mean, I think it can be helpful to investigate the written or unwritten policies that like, honestly, like individual educators at a school have regarding like, you know, what do I, what, what do I do if a student needs to not appear in class for two weeks? Um, different schools have different cultures around how they, how they, you know, treat, um, like an, an episode where a student might be having a particularly hard time. Some might be, have a complete tolerance policy where it's like, whatever a student needs, that's what we're going to try to provide. Um, other schools might be a little bit more rigid and a little bit, um, less understanding. So. I would say that probably a lot of the time, the best stakeholders to talk to about that, you know, when you're, when you're exploring a school, probably not administrators, <laughs> because for the most part, you know, administrators, especially ones who are focused on enrollment and mm-hmm. optics are not going to be um, telling it like it is. Um, that's a generalization. Someone might roast me for that. I don't know. I'd say talk to teachers, right? Talk to professors. Professors have a totally different set of um, stakes and they are very student-centric and they um, have the interests of students closest to mind um, mm-hmm. generally. And then I'd also say talk to students and try to try to get a barometer um, for the for the culture and climate at a particular school. And then finally, I would say, definitely worth like exploring the mental health support, um, you know, student services division of Mm -hmm. a university and just try to get a sense, like, is this a chronically neglected um, part of the university infrastructure that, you know, is begging for more funding every year and never getting it? Or is there support for, um, you know, a staff of mental health workers, of counselors who are who are doing what they can to help students. And I would imagine, too, that your subreddit applying to college would probably be a good place to maybe ask these kind of questions, perhaps. Yeah, sometimes. you know, for sure. That's a good it is good for that. Like if you're if you're a parent or you're a student who's 
trying to learn more about a particular school, um, you can get a lot of helpful advice from this sort of hive mind. Mm -hmm. uh, also like Reddit more generally, you know, if you go onto specific subreddits for like, I don't know, our San Francisco state, um, there might be 2000 students there who are involved in the student community who can kind of give you their quick temperature check. Um, so that could be a good resource as well. Yeah, I follow the uh, Purdue University subreddit. That's my alma mater. It helps yeah. me keep tabs on. It's very interesting to be in that. It feels it feels like if I was back on campus as a student, this would have been a valuable resource because it's not just camp. It's it's also the campus life and the things that are going on uh, around and the not just in the university, but in the, the city yeah, of West Lafayette around it. Totally, yeah. totally. Uh, and again, I, I, I know that people are probably saying, well, what does esports have to do with this or, or scholarships? But what I will say is I can't tell you how many colleges reach out to us, you know, and want to recruit our students. But I, I don't always feel uh, educated enough to say, yeah, let me introduce you to my students or mm, I don't know if you're going to be a really good fit for some of my kids as well. So it's it's one of these things where we can't just say, oh, look, we have an esports program and now our, we want to invite your kids. It's important for us as as teacher leaders to do our own research as well, too, because we know, as you were alluding to with college professors, knowing how they're going to react to mental health issues, we know our kids a lot better and where they may thrive and survive uh, yeah. a little bit better than the college may. I think so. I think, you know, my perspective is that as you put it, you know, teacher leaders have very student oriented frameworks and goals. Um, I think for them, I don't know if for the most part, but generally speaking, I think teachers are teaching at least partly because they really care about student outcomes and they are really protective and um, careful about their, you know, their little community of folks that they're, they're kind of taking care of and shepherding, right? Like through an education. And this is for sure true of like private companies, but even universities have very um, revenue driven incentives for recruiting mm -hmm. uh, in particular and enrolling. And I think that esports is at that this inter intersection of new educational programs and models that a lot of universities are like making a lunge for because they, they feel that they are a kind of 21st century um, sexy kind of recruiting tool. And just because an esports program is in place doesn't tell you very much at all about the supportiveness of the community, the resources that may be in that university community, the motives or the kind of model that um, an esports program director or coach is, is approaching with their recruiting. So I think in a lot of cases, the kind of incentives and the, the goals of, you know, teacher leaders at the K-12 level and folks who are doing recruiting at the university level or who are leading programs, they can be misaligned. Um, so it's, it's just really important to think about and kind of do your homework because that's, that's where esports is. It's at this weird intersection of um, an enrollment crisis and new technology and like 
I mean, higher ed's in a weird spot right now, generally speaking. Well, and again, you talked about at the beginning of our conversation here about your experience in World of Warcraft. You you had to speak on your own private language almost just to talk about it in public. But obviously colleges have shifted their perception, even though as you are alluding to, they may not be aligned with everything else that they have other than beyond recruiting. And that's not the case for every program we know, but how has the opinion or your opinion about video games in the last decade changed? Obviously it feels more socially acceptable now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big question. Um, I think that video games are, are so, they are so important and they are also can be very destructive and, Mm. You know, this is coming from, I feel like this is a credential check moment, but like, you know, I've been playing video games since, like really playing, a big serious gamer since I was, I mean, like a lot of people in the audience, right? Like nine or eight. Um, Five. Yeah, like, right. Like as soon as my parents were comfortable buying me like a PlayStation 1, I remember that's, you know, Spyro the Dragon, throwing it back. But, and since then, been like, you know, playing esports. I mean, I still play League of Legends, um, which uh, I wish I didn't, but you know, once <laughs> you, you can't get out. Uh, and I've been totally addicted to video games at certain times in my life. And video games have also been like a huge social saving grace and super constructive, super fun um, form of community. So it's, it's hard. I think that like on one hand, I, I'm loving that gaming is becoming more of a um, universally socially accepted space where like resources are being dedicated, like you're seeing real communities emerge. Um, and I think that's a, a really amazing when students can find community. Mm-hmm. And I think on the other hand, like gaming addiction is a real thing. Um, and gaming is like, in a lot of ways, I think is the most epitomized version of the sort of minor addiction to screen that we all face. Like it's the most fun. It's the most. (laughs) um, Well, it's intrinsically motivating. I I wouldn't say it's so much addiction, but it is for some to feel a sense of autonomy and a sense of relatedness and a sense of competency there's very few places that a lot of kids or young adults or even some adults who have regular jobs sometimes feel it too. I agree. I totally agree with that. I mean, I, I do want to say though, I, I believe, I mean, and maybe you have, you know, I do think that there is, there is a space between, you know, autonomy and self kind of feelings of self-actualization, community building, and just sort of the, you know, dopamine oriented, um, rush that, you know, you Mm -hmm. get from gaming that can be really hard to break away from. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I don't know, that's not, that's kind of a non-answer. I think that, I think that it's a really complex space and I've personally, I've seen like so many amazing communities develop from it that I think it's like amazing that especially like scholastic gaming has taken off so much. Um, and I feel like the the leaders there, especially on like this individual like local school levels, have just like 
created this amazing world for students. Um, I think gaming is is complicated though. It's complex socially. Okay. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing with us this week about the experiences of working with you as uh, well. What you see is the state of college, connecting that into gaming and esports. Uh, kind of pulling back a curtain a little bit, especially around mental health and the support services there. As we sign off on this week's episode, is there any final thoughts you'd like to leave the audience promotion of your work? Um, well, I mean, there's McNeil admissions. That's my website. That's right. Yeah. Um, McNeil admissions.com. And then there's the subreddit, the subreddit. You know, I think, I just think that now is a good time to be paying attention really closely to, um, mental health crisis, I think also the debt crisis in higher education and, and not just higher, it, you know, it touches students who are in K-12 right now um, and helping students find resources to, you know, self-educate about, you know, gain some, gain some basic debt related finan financial literacy um, is really important right now. I think that I think that the debt crisis is one that we're going to be needing to find a solution to in the next few years, um, and that educators can do a lot of preventative work um, on before students make college decisions. And I definitely think, like picking up on the theme you were getting at the beginning of this talk, like community college, right? Like state state school educations. Um, that's where a lot of my energy and hope lies for a way forward for students to be able to, you know, get a edu higher education, which is something that I think should be a universal human right if students want it, um, but to do it in a way that doesn't hamper them for the rest of their life financially. Alex McNeil of McNeil Admissions and the moderator for the subreddit Applying to College. Thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much, James. Really appreciate it. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation, promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at T-A-O Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com slash taoesports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.